0: Good to be with you. If you're new with us, welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Let me give you a little recap, and then we'll jump into it. So um, in Hebrews, you've got this author that is writing to um, Jews that have now become Christians, but there's this temptation for all of them to go back to their Judaism, their um, Jewish roots, because that's what's comfortable. So that's what they know. They know about the priest and the temple and all these kind of things. But all throughout Hebrews, what the author is trying to say is Jesus is better than all of it. Jesus is better. But there's still this temptation to go back. They want to quit. They want to give up because there's pressure, this mounting that we're going to talk about this morning. There's a stressful situation taking place that makes them want to go back to uh, what they know so at the end of chapter 10, you get uh, this author saying, please don't shrink back. Keep enduring. Keep enduring. Don't go back to what you're used to. Don't shrink back. And Jesus is better. But then in chapter 11, you get this whole list of people who have been faithful. So people who didn't shrink back. People who did endure. Normal people, not crazy people, but did extraordinary things because of their faith. And that faith led to great success for many of them, and it led to great suffering for many of them. And then we get to chapter 12, and Jake kicked this off last week, and the idea was I want you to run with endurance. The way way that you're going to do that is lay aside every weight that's going to hold you down, lay aside the sinful things in your life, and look to Jesus. Because ultimately the author is saying, I don't want you to grow weary and become faint-hearted. Growing weary and faint hearted kind of describes the last two years for our world, right? I'm so worn out. I'm so tired. I'm over it. I've got nothing left. And that's physically, mentally, emotionally. But I think for many people in this room, that's a spiritual weariness too. Because you've been, I want to stand up. I've tried to stand up for my faith in the midst of a lot of hard stuff. And I've been met with just ridicule. I've tried to do the right thing. I've tried to love and honor those that I disagree with. And it just feels like I'm really, really tired. And I just want to give up. Maybe that's you this morning. Weary, faint-hearted, ready to give up. And the same encouragement to the Hebrews is the same encouragement to us. Don't. Take heart. Don't lose your heart. Like, stay with it. Don't give up. But why? You see, because when we start to feel that kind of weariness for that long, you're so tired for so long, even as a believer, you may start to ask the question like, is God mad at me? And that's why I'm having to deal with all this. Does God really love me? If He did, wouldn't He take away the pain? Wouldn't He take away the hurt? Has God, is He even near? Has He abandoned me? And it ultimately begs this question like, where is God and what is He doing when life gets hard? Where is God and what is He doing when life gets hard? I think Hebrews 12 is going to speak tremendously to that. So let's jump right in. Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to... Look at verse 4. Starting out there. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So there's this struggle that the Hebrews, the Hebrew Christians were facing here. This struggle is like, you're fighting, like agonizing over in this fight against something. Alright? He's kind of changing the metaphor that he used last week was the running metaphor, right? This week's kind of the fighting metaphor. Like... Yeah, I want you to run with endurance, but this time we're going to wrestle, we're going to box, we're going to fight, all right? Now, so there's this struggle that's going on, and what are they struggling against? It says, in your struggle against sin. Now, in our English translations, we miss a little definite article, the there would be probably more accurate. In your struggle against the sin. So there's a specific thing going on that they're struggling with. Because you could also look at... Kind of back to verse 1 where it's saying lay off every weight and sin and go, this is about personal sin. I don't think that's what uh, the author is trying to get at here. Because if you look at verse 3, what do you have? Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility. So there's this hostility that's coming against himself, talking about Jesus, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So they have endured from sinners hostility. So what he's trying to get at here is there's this struggle that you have against a specific adversary or enemy. Jesus endured this hostility from sinful people. So there's a suffering that's taking place in this church, and that suffering is not just coming from internal sin, but it's coming from an outside pressure. People opposing the gospel. So there's some stress and pressure that's mounting among these people. And it's leading to their weariness, it's leading to their faint heartedness, it's threatening their endurance. I don't think I can keep going anymore because of this pressure, whether it's the economic persecution or social persecution that they're happening, they're beginning to wonder like this is too hard and it's lasted too long, how do I keep going? So again, a fight against an outside enemy that's causing great suffering in their lives. It says, So in your struggle against this outside enemy, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. This is a, the idea of resisted there goes back to the Greek games, and it's kind of like boxing, all right? That in this time period, they are just taking blow after blow to the head. And it just keeps coming. It just keeps coming. And it just keeps coming. He goes. In this struggle against this outside sin that's creating so much suffering in your lives, you're taking blow after blow after blow. And you go, okay, yes, now tell me some good news. And he goes, but actually you haven't even struggled to the point of shedding your blood. Like, wait a second, I thought we were getting some encouragement here. Like, you're saying it's bad, but it's only going to get worse? That's what the author's saying to them. You think it's bad right now, but you haven't even struggled to the point of shedding your blood. Like death hasn't even occurred yet, bloodshed hasn't occurred yet in this struggle, this persecution that they are experiencing. Evidently, there hadn't even been anybody martyred for their faith at this point, but they're feeling this weariness and faint-heartedness because of all this pressure, this mounting. But it's only going to get worse, he says. It's a very, very stressful environment for this these group of people. If you look back at Hebrews chapter 10, it's not going to be on screen. We read this the other day again. But just so you know the pressure that they've already faced, Hebrews ten thirty-two through 34 says, But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated, For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property so since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So here's a group of people. They know the pain. They know the suffering. It's really hard. And they're facing it because of other people. It's not something that they've done. And they're getting weary. They're getting really tired. So then... It's getting to the point, and if you're that, you use that boxing metaphor, and you're boxing, it's to the point where they go, "I just want to throw in the towel, like I'm done. I can't do it anymore." And some of you are there this morning, like if I had a towel, I would definitely throw it in, right? Hey, I'm going just pause for a second. If you got room in the middle of your aisle, like if you can scoot to the middle, we got people uh, kind of standing at the back that still need some seats, but it's hard to see when there's just like coats everywhere. Or one so if you could kind of scoot to the Aisles, that would be really helpful all right thanks guys it's a wonderful problem to have lots of people that want to come right all right so here's people and they want to throw in the towel and maybe that's you today how do you fight and not lose heart how do you do this let's look at the beginning of verse five because he's going to ask them another question here but it's maybe not the question that you're thinking He goes, so you haven't struggled, you haven't resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Verse 5, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? He's going, hey, I want you to remember who you are. I know it's really hard right now, but I want you to remember who you belong to. I want you to remember your identity. Have you forgotten that you're sons? Have you forgotten that? And at this point, if I'm writing this letter, I'm going, yeah, have you forgotten that your sons, let me tell you about how awesome your heavenly father is. I know you got hostile, sinful adversaries that are causing tremendous stress in your lives. Let me tell you how great your heavenly father is. How big and bad and much stronger he is. That's what I would write. That's not what the author of Hebrews writes. He actually throws a pretty significant curveball here. Let's look at at the end of verse 5 and 6. So, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So he's going, hey, Hebrew Christians, have you forgotten have you forgotten that you're a son, and your father is a heavenly father? Have you forgotten that you're children of the most wonderful, loving father? Have you forgotten? I know you want to throw in the towel, but I need you to remember who your heavenly father is. So he quotes Proverbs three, eleven, and twelve. That's where that quote is from. And so we in that. Proverb, it is a loving father that's dealing with his children. Now, some of you have already connected the dots. You're like, wait a second, we're talking about suffering that's coming from outside people, and we're experiencing pain and suffering. And now, the question to those people is, this is the Lord's discipline? This is the Lord disciplining me because of this suffering and pain that I'm experiencing? Now let me define discipline for you this morning. Correction done to change a negative behavior of the offender. Correction done to change the negative behavior of the offender. Versus punishment, which would be correction done really for the sake of the offended. Some of you are like, I'm not in psychology class right now. Like, I don't want to do this, right? So let me give you a little illustration that might help you. So pretend you're a parent and you're in Target. And you've got a toddler, and that toddler decides that he wants candy at the, at the you know, cash register. And you're like, no, we're not, gonna, we're not doing candy today, right? And that three-year-old decides, okay, I'm going to show you how much I want the candy. And they start screaming and yelling. Some of you are like... Never been there before, right? Like, never, ever, ever. They're screaming and yelling, and they're going crazy. And in that moment, you as a parent, you know that everybody's looking at you. Right? And then you know, you think, at least, this is when your, like, middle school insecurity comes back up, but right? Like, you're there, and you think... Everybody's looking at you. They're all judging your parenting. Some of them probably are. Who cares? Right? right? But like they're judging you. And so for your sake, the one being offended, you decide you want to punish your child. No, we're not doing this. This is not how we're going to act in the middle of the public. No, but it really makes you feel better. Like You're correcting them to make you, the offended one, feel better, right? Discipline's different than that. Discipline's going, hey... This is not how we're gonna act here, and they're still screaming and yelling, but you're going i I know this is hard, and you you begin to correct and you begin to instruct and you begin to teach, but it's not for you to make you feel better it's for them hey there's going to be plenty of times throughout life, and you're not explaining this to the three year old in target right now, okay, and some of you some of you like young people that don't have parents like, oh, that sounds great, like you're not going to do that all in the moment, okay so But at some point, you're going to go, I know, there's going to be disrespect. There's going to be people that are going to ask you to do things that you don't like down the road, and you need to learn to be respectful now. So I'm going to teach you now, in front of the candy, at Target, how to do that. But it's really disciplining them and correcting their behavior for their own sake, not for your sake. That's what we've got going on here. It says, the Lord disciplines those he loves. So there's this process that we're trying to learn a way of life. We talk about raising up mature disciples here. The same root word, disciple and discipline, same thing. It's to learn. A disciple is a learner. So when it comes to discipline, there is something that we're trying to learn, a way of life that we're trying to learn that involves training and correction and instruction. And that's what's happening here. Have you forgotten, Hebrew Christians, I know it's hard. Have you forgotten the Lord's discipline and that He loves you? He says, So what I need you to do is do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when reproved by Him. Take the Lord's discipline seriously. It's not a thing to be taken lightly. It's significant what the Lord's trying to do. Because men grow weary when they're corrected, right? We think really highly of ourselves. And when someone, a boss has to correct us or somebody else has to correct us, we end up walking around like Eeyore, right? Oh, man, this is a terrible, I'm a terrible person. Like, this is awful because we thought so highly about ourselves. But now somebody's corrected us and we get weary because we've been corrected, because discipline has happened. He goes, what I want you to do is to know that you're loved. Know that you're received by the Father. Discipline is a sign of the Father's love for you. It builds endurance. It helps you not to throw in the towel when you, it's really hard. Yes, it's really hard. I want to quit. But God, I know you love me and you're trying to do something in the middle of this. We'll get to what he's trying to do in a little bit, right? It's a sign of your identity as one that the heavenly, your Heavenly Father has received. In the midst of really hard things, church, you have to know as a believer that the Father loves you and He loves you deeply. And I know that's hard to grasp when it's hard. When things are going on in your personal lives, when things are going on in your family, it's hard to know that the Father loves you. But we can't misinterpret the Lord's discipline. Don't misinterpret the Lord's discipline. The sufferings coming to them from these hostile sinners, so does that mean God's causing it all? No, but God's in control of it all. God's in charge of it all. God's not just passive sitting back going, "Oh, stinks for you. I hate you're having to go through this." He still rules over those hostile sinners. But in the midst of it, it's fulfilling his loving purposes. So then that begs the big question. So does God cause suffering? Does God cause suffering? I'll tell you this. God is never the author of evil. Ever. But God absolutely may allow it in your life. God is never the author of evil. But he may allow that suffering in your life for a purpose. Because he loves you. And he's received you as his own child. And we can't miss that in the midst of really hard things. Maybe I can give you another illustration to help explain this. So pretend that uh, you've got a surgeon who, uh, and an ER doctor. Right? Being A surgeon being somebody who, like there was a plan, you knew there was a surgery that needed to take place versus an ER doctor who may still do surgery but is going to kind of respond in the moment. For the surgeon, there's a plan There's intentionality. I'm going to intentionally make an incision for your good, right? Versus an ER doctor who an accident happens, he's having to or she's having to respond respond in the moment, and they're going to make a cut and go, I hope we can get this worked out in the moment. That's the difference that we're talking about here. God's going, no, there's an intentional plan. I know there's suffering, and I'm allowing it because I know what's coming out of it. I know what could come out of it. And I'm doing this for your good. God's not just going, oh, things didn't go right. Like, hope we can fix it. There's hostile, sinful people causing persecution. He's not going, oh, man, I didn't realize that. Like, I better figure out how to fix it. No, he's in charge of it all. God is sovereign over everything. But he's intentionally using that for a purpose that we're going to get to in a second. So does God call suffering, he's never the author of evil, but he may allow it in your life. What we don't know is how long that suffering will last. We don't know how difficult it might become. This is what we do know, that in the midst of that suffering, we are loved by the Father. He has received us by his grace and his grace alone. And he is absolutely at work in the midst of the suffering. So don't reject it. Receive the Lord's discipline. Don't try to run from it. Don't try to avoid it, but receive it. Let's go to verses 7 and 8. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. In this discipline, you have a loving father that's treating you As his child. By his grace. He's not angry at you. He's not mad at you. Because suffering is taking place. You're not an illegitimate child. Who in this context. Didn't have the same rights and responsibilities. And privileges. That true biological children had. You have all those privileges. You have all those rights and responsibilities because you've been adopted into His family. You're not a slave or an enemy. God loves you. You're like, wait a second. So God loves me and that's why I'm still experiencing some of this suffering? Yeah, He loves you. Don't forget it. He's treating you as a son. I did youth ministry for many years and some of you know if you have teenagers that those are troubling times, right? Uh, To say the least. The teenager thinks you know nothing, you maybe not always be the kindest to them in the moment, right? But I always tried to tell the teenagers, like when they were, my dad hates me, my mom hates me, she just wants to make my life miserable, right? And I always said, like, hey, when your mom and dad wake up in the morning, do you think the alarm clock goes off? They pop up out of bed and go, how can I make his life miserable today? Do you think any parent like, is literally thinking that every day? Some of your parents are like, yeah, I thought that yesterday, right? But overall, that's not what your parents are thinking when they wake up in the morning. Now, I know it's hard in the moment when you lose the cell phone because you did something stupid, right? Like when you were corrected and instructed, but they don't wake up going... How quickly can I take away the phone today? How quickly can I take away the video game system? How quickly can I punish them like that 's not what 's happening that 's not what a loving parent does it 's not what god 's doing in your life either he 's treating you as a, his child he 's not going i 'm not mad at you he 's not angry with you. He loves you, and that 's why he 's allowing these things to happen you 've been adopted. So where is God when life gets hard? He's at work as your Father. When life gets really difficult, where is God? He is at work as your Father. The question is, will you trust His discipline? Or will you lose heart? Will you curse God because you think He's abandoned you? Let's go on to verse 9. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? So you're getting into kind of a co- comparing contrast of earthly fathers and spiritual fathers here in earthly discipline and spiritual discipline, God's discipline. It says, "So for many of you, you respected, at some point you respected your father's discipline. Your earthly father's discipline, you began to respect it. Now, some of you are in the midst of it right now, and you're like, no, I have no respect, right? But I remember distinctly when I was a senior in high school, I was sitting in an American history class, and as I was sitting in that class, uh, I had become a believer as a freshman in high school. So God had changed my life and changed my desires, and um, I'm sitting in that class, and there's a group of people on, around me that we operated differently. Because I was a believer, they weren't. And uh, they did things uh, that I just didn't participate in. I had my own sinful struggles, but theirs were probably more outward than mine were at the time. But I remember one day, I have no idea how this came up in class. We were doing this worksheet. felt like busy work at the time. And one of, the per- one of those friends asked another one. They said, Hey, did your parents ever discipline you as a kid? And it was crazy. Like multiple people joined in the conversation. They were like, No, we had to do whatever we wanted to do. And it was the first time in my entire life that I was really thankful that my parents disciplined me. Because I saw the things that they came in on Monday morning struggling with. And I thought, oh, I've got to avoid all, that, all those consequences. Again, I had my own sin struggles. I went p- perfect. But I had avoided so many consequences in life because my parents loved me enough to correct the negative behavior for my sake. So we respect like earthly discipline at some point, right? But he goes, how much more? Verse 9. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? I, you respect some earthly discipline. How much more? And some of you are going, what is this, the father of spirits there? Really simply he's just trying to communicate the spirit, a spiritual father. An earthly father's discipline brings respect spiritual father's discipline brings life. <laughs> you can receive that discipline and it leads to life, or you can reject it and it leads to death. Let's look at 10, verses 10 and 11 where this contrast continues. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. So for a short time an earthly father is going to discipline. As it seemed best to him. You see earthly discipline is short in duration and it has a limited scope. You know as a parent you don't have all knowledge right? You don't have all wisdom. You're trying to do your best. But the discipline of a heavenly father one that's completely sovereign? One that's completely in control? One that's completely in charge of it all? He's not limited in His scope. He has unlimited knowledge. He knows it all. He knows what's to come. He knows the end game of it all. He knows what's best for you. And the beauty of it is He's not going to overdo it, but He's not going to neglect it either because He loves you. Because... I said this several weeks ago when we talked during the Christmas Advent season, when we were talking about an everlasting Father, that many of you in this room, even right now, you're going, "Uh, I have a dad that didn't know how to do this well. I had a parent that didn't do this well. They actually crossed a significant line, and it wasn't just discipline; it was abuse. Guys, I'm sorry. I hate that you had to go through that." And that's not the kind of discipline we're talking about whatsoever here. Not at all. We're talking about loving correction. And here, loving correction from a sovereign God who knows everything and knows absolutely what's best for your life. So where is God in all this? He's at work as a loving Father. But what is He trying to do with it all? Again, back to 10 and 11. He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained for it. So what's the purpose of this discipline? What's the purpose of all this suffering in your life? Our good, our holiness, our peace, our righteousness. God is looking out for you as a loving father to go, I'm doing this for your good. I'm doing this for your holiness, your peace, your righteousness. He's not just trying to punish us. We deserve punishment, right? As sinful people, we deserve punishment from a holy God. But instead of punishing us, what did he do? He punished his own son, Jesus who died on a cross so that we wouldn't have to be punished. Amen? That's a loving father. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's a loving heavenly father. God's not just sitting back going, I hope this flips to our good at some point. I was caught off guard. No, he's saying, I'm doing this for your good and for your holiness that you may share in his holiness. God the Father wants, you to, wants to make you like him. He wants you to become holy. And he knows the, some of the things that it's going to take you to bring out that holiness and righteousness of Christ in you is suffering and pain. But that's the end goal. That's success. When you become holy and righteous. Again, that's not all of your own effort. That's through the righteousness of Christ. But he's going to bring some of that out. Through pain. It says to lead to a peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's the pruning illustration, right? Have, we have several fruit trees in our house. You have to prune them. I don't really know what I'm doing with it, right? When I get done with it, it looks really ugly, right? It doesn't look right. But hopefully that's going to bring better fruit the next year. That's the same thing, this suffering, this pain that the Hebrew Christians were facing is going, I'm going to bring about a peaceful fruit of righteousness out of this. I know it's hard and the pruning doesn't look right and it's it's difficult, but it's going to yield more fruit. That's what God's trying to do. Guys, we have to embrace suffering for our own sanctification. We have to embrace suffering for our own sanctification. And this doesn't mean we just know how to interpret suffering like intellectually now. Oh, yeah, I know suffering is for my good and God's glory. But when you walk out of here and something bad happens today with you or a family member, you can't just go, yeah, I know that. Like we have to embrace it and go, God, what are you trying to teach me now? I know you're for my good because you love me and you've received me. So it's for our good, our holiness, our peace, our righteousness. And here's the reality again in verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. Can I get amen? Rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. In the moment, no discipline (laughs) seems good. In the moment, it's hard. If I'm trying to correct, we'll go back to my three-year-old. If I'm trying to correct my toddler's behavior, and I correct something that I know wasn't right, and all of a sudden that lip gets really fat and pokes out, and the alligator tears start to fall, I'm going, what did I do? Like, what did I do as a dad? But then I go like, no! I know I can see beyond what a three-year-old can see right now. And I grab him and I hug him. And I go, I know it's hard, buddy. I know it's hard. But we're going to learn this and we're going to learn it together. Guys, in the moment, discipline is hard. and Sometimes we don't see the good in it. But what the truth of God's Word saying is, it's momentary. Reminds me of the story of Joseph in Genesis. Joseph, he was an arrogant brother, let's be honest, all right? so said, Joseph Had these dreams that his brothers were bowing down to him. Well, that's one of those dreams you keep to yourself, all right. You don't tell your brothers that, all right. So brother, he tells his brothers. They don't like it. So they take and because he knew he's like dad's favorite, they take him. They sell him to some slave traders. They throw him in a pit. They pretend that he's dead. They take this this nice coat that his dad's given him. They take it back. Dad's grieving and mourning because it's a awful situation. He gets taken to a different country because he's been abandoned by his brothers. And he goes, and I'll make this really quick, but a famine He gets really high in this other kingdom, in this country. and In that kingdom, he can interpret dreams and he knows that there's a famine coming. So he has his country store up crops and food for a long, long time. So that when the famine comes, they're ready. Well, then other countries didn't store up crops. So at one point, his brothers go to this new kingdom. They have no idea that their brother Joseph is the one leading the charge. And they're begging for food. And in the midst of horrible suffering and pain, when your brothers have abandoned you, you've been thrown in a pit, you've been thrown to, sold off, you begin to think, this is awful. Has my God abandoned me? And listen to what Joseph says in Genesis 50. As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Guys, that's what momentary pain may lead to if the Lord's the one disciplining you. It's hard. I got this from another pastor named Ray Stedman. He said, In the midst of this suffering and pain, nobody should be yelling out, like, Hallelujah, God, it hurts. Like, nobody's going to do that. What you should be yelling out is, Hallelujah, God, it helps. It's hard, it's painful, it does hurt. But, God, this helps. And you know it helps. And I'm going to become more like you as a result of this pain and suffering. Guys, that's what we want to be trained by, the Lord's discipline. There at the end of verse 11, it says to those who have been trained by it. Guys, it's possible to be disciplined by the Lord and not be trained by it though. And then you end up having to repeat the discipline over and over and over and over and over until you get it. Guys, what I want you to know this morning is God has great, great concern over your life. Even when evil people are causing suffering. God allows suffering. He's not the author of it. Guys, that's a really hard truth. That's the reality of Hebrews 12. So going back to our first question, where is God... And what is he doing when life gets hard? God is behind our hardship for the sake of our holiness. God is behind our hardship for the sake of our holiness. He's not simply above it, looking down, watching us suffering at the expense of hostile sinners. He's not way out in front, abandoning us, going, I hope you figure it out. God doesn't hate you. You're not his enemy. Because of Jesus, you're not his enemy. He loves you, and he's treating you as his child. God is for you. He's for your good, he's for your holiness, he's for your peace, and he's for your righteousness. So what do we do with this? Verses 12 and 13. Therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Your healing is the ultimate goal here. Lift your drooping hands. Now that you know that you haven't forgotten that you're sons and that you're loved by the Father, lift your drooping hands. Straighten your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet. Now we can look at this and go, all right, I know what I need to do after this sermon. I need to pull up my bootstraps and I need to work really hard to strengthen my weak knees and lift my drooping hands. Guys, that will fail really quickly. What you need to do is press into Jesus because by His wounds we are healed. Jesus took our punishment so that we can experience the fruit of discipline later. When Jesus was getting ready to go to his death and be arrested and then go to his death, this is what he said in John 16:33: I have said these things to you, that in me, so in Jesus, you may have peace. You don't get it by just pulling up your bootstraps. In the world, you will have tribulation. The suffering will come. But take heart, I, Jesus, has overcome the world. And the suffering and the pain, when you're weary and faint-hearted, take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. Guys, that's good news. So my encouragement to you today is remember the Father's love for you. Some of you in this room, you maybe have forgotten it. Remember John 3.16. Remember Romans 5.1. Remember 1 John, the book that talks all about God's love. And then secondly, embrace hardship. Don't try to run from it. Don't try to avoid it, but ask the question, what is the Lord trying to teach me in it? Guys, imagine if our whole church began to do this. If we began to embrace hardship, we didn't complain about it, we didn't grumble about it, we didn't try to get out of it, we embraced it, and how much more could we become more like Jesus? And then I can guarantee you that your neighbors and your co-workers, when they watch you go through painful circumstances and you go through it with joy and hope, they're going to go, what's wrong with you? That's not how the world operates. No, it's not. But that's how people who know Jesus, that can take heart and know that He's overcome the world, that's how we operate. Guys, let's be that kind of people. Loved by the Father. Received by the Father. By His grace and His grace alone. Let's pray. Father, suffering is hard. We don't like it. But God, today I pray that we would think about it differently. I pray that we would think about it as children loved by you, our Heavenly Father. God, for so many in this room that are weary and faint-hearted today, I pray that they would take heart knowing that Jesus has overcome the world. Please, God, we beg you to help us be that kind of church